Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Before we jump into today's episode of the program, uh, some unfinished business from yesterday. You recall we revisited my latest conversation with Wyoming writer Craig Johnson. He is the New York Times bestselling author of the Walt Longmire mystery novels, basis for Longmire, the Netflix uh, drama, television drama. Um, and uh, during that uh, conversation, Glenn in the Una Basin uh, emailed in. He says, hello, I've been awaiting something involving Walt and skinwalkers. It's pretty hot right now, along with mutilated cattle. There's a Netflix documentary out produced locally about the local Skinwalker Ranch. There are a lot of ties to Native Americans also. I'm just hoping to throw some stimuli at you. That's Glenn in the Uinta Basin. Thanks for that. And you can email us as well, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Law Office of Attorney Tess A. Davis, providing legal services and assisting clients in all areas of family law, including divorce, complex custody issues, and high-conflict divorce litigation involving large marital estates. Information at TessDavisLaw.com. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in January. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to be talking about a new book, uh, a traveling exhibit. The book is Champions of Change. In fighting to pass the 19th Amendment, brave suffragists like Susan B. Anthony and Emmeline B. Wells fought to end laws to take down barriers that prevented them from voting. Champions of Change introduces young readers not only to Anthony and Wells, but also a diverse group of firsts and freedom fighters in America's fight for equality, such as Zit Kalasa, co-founder of the National Council of American Indians, Martha Hughes Cannon, America's first female state senator, Barbara Toomer, who was jailed 35 times for protests that led uh, to the passage of Americans with Disabilities Act, and the women of the Kanab Town Council, one of the first all-female city councils in the country. Uh, we also have in studio with we have the, the authors and the illustrator of that book at uh, KCBW Studios in Salt Lake City. Uh, Naomi Watkins is an educational consultant, women's advocate, community builder, former middle school English teacher. She specializes in curriculum development and uh, school district uh, consulting. So, Naomi Watkins, do we have you? here okay we've got some technical difficulties we're trying to work through we'll we'll try to try to work this through uh so welcome to the program Naomi Watkins Catherine Kitterman is the historical director for Better Days 2020 that's an organization that explores the stories of women who shaped Utah's history she's currently a PhD candidate in American history at American University in Washington DC Catherine Kitterman welcome to the program hi good morning uh, Brooke Smart is an illustrator based in Sandy uh, with a BFA in illustration from uh, Brigham Young University uh, many illustration clients, and uh, she recently won the honorable mention 2016 Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators Portfolio Showcase in uh, New York City. Brooke Smart, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Great to have you with us. Uh, in studio uh, here we have uh, Karina Brown, who is uh, co-chair of the uh, Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020. She's also a co-chair of the Cash Chamber of Commerce Legislative Affairs Committee. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tom. And Gina Worthen is uh, treasurer of the, the uh, that organization, Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020. Uh, she's on the Cash County Council and uh, helped to put together this exhibit that we'll be talking about. Welcome to the program. Thank you. 
Um, so let me let me start with um, <clears throat> Karina Brown. So this this organization, Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020, uh, there, there are several anniversaries this year. Uh, obviously, women's suffrage, uh, the women's right to vote, 1920s. That's 100 years. Right. Uh, there, there are another couple of uh, celebrations, I think, this year. Right. It's it's really exciting to to celebrate these anniversaries in 2020. The the other anniversaries are the 150th anniversary of the first woman in the U.S. to vote under an equal suffrage law was February 14, 1870, in Utah, and it'll be the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Yeah. To, some great so so a big year and uh, your organization's putting together an exhibit. We'll talk about that exhibit uh, as we go along. Uh, Gina Worthen, we tend to think of uh, the, the, where women were first able to vote was Wyoming, right? And a lot of us don't realize that it was actually in Utah, which is really exciting. The territory of Wyoming passed an equal suffrage law that was unrestricted. In the earlier days, there were some women's suffrage laws, suffrage meaning the right to vote. But you had to own property, which married women couldn't. Uh, and sometimes they were only allowed to vote in school board elections. So the first law that allowed women to vote unrestricted was in Wyoming in December of 1869. But what happened was Utah came in in February of 1870 in the territorial legislature. And it was actually Peter Mon of Cache County, one of our founders here in Cache County, who wrote the bill allowing women age 21 and older to vote. And then we voted February 14th, and again in August, before Wyoming women voted in September of 1870. So we were first to vote, which is really exciting for Utah. We have such a rich heritage there. Yeah. Uh, let me turn to uh, Naomi Watkins there at KCBW Studios. Uh, so this this book, it's, it's uh, targeted at young readers. Um, important to you, uh, to, to, the, to the authors, that uh, young people learn this history? Yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't grow up learning about women in history. I'm a native Californian, so this is a an issue nationwide about not learning about the women who have built our country. Um, so it was really important as an educator to find ways to make the history accessible to young students. Uh, the, uh, there's a preface to the book, Forward, by Shannon Hale, and uh, she says growing up in Utah, uh, she, uh, there were so few uh, women talked about that she clung to them. Uh, you know, Cleopatra, Elizabeth I, Queen Victoria, and uh, she wishes that she could have learned about more women growing up. Yeah, definitely. I actually have been trying to think of a California woman from history who was not an actress, <laughs> and I still haven't been able to think of one that I know from my school curriculum. Um, and I remember learning about, like Shannon, some key women from history, most of them in the East. And so I really thought Western women did nothing. And that's a shame. <laughs> that is a shame, yeah. It's just, it's just it's the curriculum, right, which is probably controlled by men. I don't know. Well, history is written by the history writers, right? right. And, um, and curriculum is a political act. Um, there's a recent article in the New York Times about how history textbooks differ by state based on the political climates and the different priorities. And so that plays out um, in the textbooks and the things that are taught in social studies classrooms. So let me turn to Catherine Kitterman, uh, Historic Director for Better Days 2020. Uh, first of all, Better Days 2020, what's, uh, what's that organization? 
So we're a nonprofit founded about two and a half years ago in Utah. We've received funding from the legislature and local businesses and foundations to popularize Utah women's history, and especially in the lead up to these suffrage anniversaries this year, to help Utahns understand and recognize the rich heritage that we have of women who have made great contributions to our state. Uh, so what's your, what was your experience uh, growing up? I don't know where you grew up, but uh, I assume the curriculum is pretty similar there. Yeah, it was. I grew up in Arizona, actually, and um, I'm just learning now about suffragists and women from my own hometown that I never heard about growing up. And it's really exciting to see this movement, this change in history. It's not that these stories didn't exist or that we're manufacturing women's stories, right? It's that they've always been there. But now that we're excavating them from history and restoring our history to tell a more full story. So what does that do if, uh, if children, I guess adults too, are exposed to these these stories? What, uh, How does that move the needle, do you think? Yeah. When you see the stories of different people making change in history and people who are like you, people who are not like you, people from your hometown, people from other places, you start to get a sense of where you fit and, and the power of an individual voice for change. I think it's really critical that we understand that people who are president and leader and organizer types make history, but so do the people who go to the polls and cast their ballots and the people who make change in other ways as well. And I think when we have a fuller picture of all of the people who have been involved in making changes happen, like bringing women the right to vote, then we understand more the power of our own voice in our own communities. We turn to Brooke Smart. Uh, you, you've done the illustrations here. They're wonderful illustrations. Uh, Thank you. L- l- let, me, uh, let me ask you, what, uh, where did you grow up and what was the, who did you learn about? Was it mostly I men? Am actually, I'm actually the only Utah of the three of us. Okay. And... I, my experience was very similar where I didn't know about any of these women growing up. I maybe had heard the name Emmeline B. Wells, and I'd maybe heard Martha Hughes Cannon, but beyond that, all of the other women that we have studied, that we have written about and drawn, are new to me as well. Mm. Now, what were you... What were you going for, for with the illustrations uh, here? This is targeted for young readers, right? Right. Uh, so each uh, each story has a full page illustration, and then uh, and then a, a page of uh, biography. Correct. So when Better Days um, hired me to do the illustrations, we talked about making portraits of each of these women and the two men that are included. Um, but we wanted more than just a static portrait because that's kind of all we have with a lot of these women. We just have black and white photographs, no smile, um, not a lot of emotion. There's no color, obviously. So we wanted to tell more of a story with the portraits. Um, We wanted to include a lot of different things from their lives so that when children look at the different images, they can say, you know, what does this element have to do with this woman? And um, it tells a whole story all inclusive with each illustration. And then there's, uh, I think on all these, there's a quote included in the illustration. Yes. Um, So we tried to find a really, uh, we tried to find a quote from each woman. Sometimes it was harder to find a quote. Some women didn't have a written account or journals that they kept. So sometimes we would use a quote or a description about them. But most of the time we were able to find a quote, which was really great. Yeah. Uh, so Naomi Watkins, the the book, uh, what, what, what's your hope? Young people read this? I guess everybody read this. 
yeah, I don't think it's just for young readers. Um, I think it's compelling as an adult. Um, and the book has 25 of the 50 illustrations that we that Brooke did. Um, and I want and I want to make sure that people that readers know that we worked very closely with um, family members, descendants, scholars of these women um, to ensure that the the story that we told, not just through words, but also through the illustrations, was authentic and accurate of these women's lives, um, particularly for women who um, are from communities that we are not personally a part of. Um, I think that's really important as outsiders to different communities um, in Utah that we make those communities a part of the storytelling. Uh, such as, give me an example. So we. Um, worked with the various tribes of Utah to, um, they selected the woman actually to represent their tribe. And then we worked with people in those, um, those tribes to work on the illustrations and the research of writing, of writing about them. So an example would be, um, Annie Dodge Wanika from the Navajo Nation. Um, and Brooke was really awesome, uh, doing multiple drafts of illustrations to make sure that, uh, the family members and the tribes were happy with the depiction of them. So sometimes she had to go through multiple drafts as we would share those drafts with, uh, with our with the family members. Uh, let me uh, we'll, we'll turn back to the book here in a in a bit. I want to turn uh, to the exhibit. Um, so Gina Worthen, you were ex- you were heavily involved in researching, I guess. Yeah, I was one of the exhibit researchers for the exhibit that we created here in Cache County. Um, it's it's really been great. We have it in the schools. We have it in the Box Elder uh, School District as well as the Cash and Logan School Districts. It's created from voting booths to drive home the point of, of celebrating women's right to vote. And we have uh, three years that we're focusing on, uh, 1870, 1920, and 1965. And we talk about women uh, and their place and, and what happened in each, of, in each of those times as well as some of the people who made history and made changes. Um, and it's been really fun to, to read about people and learn about people. Um, one of my favorite heroes of the time, because it was men and women, was Harry Byrne from 1920. And when the 19th Amendment was about to be ratified by the states, one final state was needed, that was Tennessee. They were one vote shy of passing. And Harry Byrne's mother had written him a letter, and he had it in his pocket, and he was planning to vote no. Uh, his mother had said, you know, vote for women's rights and vote for the right for women. And and so he changed his vote when it came to him. They were expecting him to vote no. He voted yes, changed the course of history. Then he ran and hid up in the up in the roof of the Capitol because people <laughs> were mad at him. So it's a great story about a young man who said that it was best to listen to his mother and mm-hmm. that he wanted to free women from being political slaves. I mean, we don't like to talk so much about slavery, but political slavery is, is how he termed it back in 1920, and he wanted to set women free. And so he's included in this exhibit. And he's included. Yeah. We have a letter. We have part of the letter, and the kids can pull that out and look at it and see the actual handwriting from his mom and, and really can kind of get a taste of of that story. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, some people don't know that it was, it was a real cliffhanger there, Tennessee, one one hot summer, right? Yes. And uh, I guess, yeah, uh, a note from his mother uh, turned the tide, perhaps. Here. Uh, so, uh, uh, Karina Brown, there's uh, you know, a lot else in this exhibit, and I wonder what, uh, this has been out for a little while, um, yeah. and what's the reaction been from the from the kids? Well, the reaction has been wonderful. One of the components of our exhibit is a quilt board that the students can write 
um, with a marker on the board, the, an answer to the question, how will you use your voice and your vote? And when I went to w- visit Wellsville Elementary, the, I read some of the cutest responses from those elementary school kids, um, like, I will help the save the fish, or I will vote for what is fair, or was, a couple of them wrote, I will vote for a woman for president, or mm. I will choose the right, or I will help people. And so it's been inspiring to see the reaction f- from the children and also from the adults um, visiting the different media centers when we go install the exhibits to see the reaction from the staff and how excited they are. It's almost like coming in with a Christmas package or something to see some of the reactions um, that they get to our exhibit. And so it's exciting to help bring something to the schools that makes history come alive for the children and for the adults because, like like Gina said, I didn't know about all these different historical facts until I started working on this committee. And so it's been really inspiring for me to be a part of it. Mm. Uh, before we uh, go to a break, I want to ask the two of you, I'd ask the three guests, uh, authors of the book. Um, so, Karina Brown, what was what stood out to you when you're going through school? Did you did they have uh, as typical is you'll have a little section on women's suffrage and then you move on. But uh, I, I think that's changing. But I well, I grew up all over the country and I don't remember ever learning about it. I have sometimes my memories bad, but um, I don't remember anything that stood out to me of significance learning about women suffrage or women mm. in history. Yeah. And so that's why I real, really feel passionate about it. And also just a personal story that I sh- have shared with some of the school district when we went and made the presentation about our exhibit was I, I realized I'm a, it hit me. I'm a first generation female voter because my mother um, was from Finland and she passed away two years before um, two years after she became a citizen and my father's mother from America thought my grandpa should vote for her, and she was born in 1922. So just from my personal history, I feel even more um, passionate about it because I realize, you know, it just really has hit me how much of a privilege it is to vote and participate in our democracy. And it's still, like, under construction, but it takes all of us to make it work and all of our participation. Yeah. And... um I, I think you have daughters? Yes, I have three teenage daughters. And actually, it's so cool because yesterday our 17-year-old's voter voter card came in the mail. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> this is such good timing. So Yeah, so on, on the anniversary year, she'll be right. able to vote to this, this year. Uh, Gina Worthen, what was your experience well, I, growing <clears throat> up in the schools? I grew up here and I grew up in Salt Lake City, <clears throat> Saltwell, Salt Lake County. I didn't know anything about this. I was even in AP history, and I don't remember learning anything about women's suffrage or that Utah led out in that. And so I was excited to discover all of this. And um, it's kind of funny, um, the anniversary of the date of voting, February 14th, 1870, I was first sworn in to fill a seat on the county council on February 14th. And at that point, I had no idea. But now that's really special to me because that was the anniversary that women got the right to vote in Utah. Yeah. That's another component to this. You've obviously run for office. Karina yes. Brown, you ran for office, right? Right. Uh, so that's uh, that makes this experience perhaps richer. Yeah, it really does. I, I ran for Utah House of Representatives in 2018, and that was a good experience to run for office and, and to meet people. But that adds another layer of a component of why this makes it extra special to me is, is that, you know, participating in an election like that um, – just makes me even more passionate about it. 
Yeah. Before we go to break, and when we come back after break, I want to learn about some of the fascinating people in this book, Champions of Change. Uh, whether we have we we have the authors Naomi Watkins and Catherine Kitterman at uh, KCBW Studios, along with the illustrator Shannon Hale. And in studio with us here, we have uh, co-chair of the Cash uh, Celebration of Women's Suffrage uh, 2020 organization, um, Karina Brown. And uh, we have with us uh, Gina Worthen, who is on the Cash County Council, also involved with uh, Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll learn the fascinating history, some of these uh, very interesting women and a couple of men involved in this book uh, not involved, uh, featured in the book, I should say. Champions of Change, 25 Women Who Made History. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. Did you know that researchers are developing apps to help with depression? Studies have found that online programs can help people learn acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, which has been proven to help with a variety of mental health issues, including depression and anxiety. People who are unsure about starting therapy can first learn ACT skills using an online program and then progress to therapy sessions. The ACT model teaches skills that can be applied in a variety of ways, such as mindfulness, time management, and handling challenging emotions. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. This is Kate Salinas, the staff assistant at UPR. We're grateful for the support of our members, especially during this strange time. We want to do our best to support you and local businesses as we head into this new version of normal. Be sure to check out our website for the latest COVID-19 news, business announcements, and community events information. That's all on our website, upr.org. If you'd like us to feature your changed or canceled event information online, send me an email at uprcommunityevents at gmail.com. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in January. You're listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. Uh, we are uh, looking at uh, several anniversaries happening in 2020, um, and uh, of course, one of those is the 100th anniversary of the women's right to vote, happened in 1920, the 19th Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, a couple of other anniversaries. Uh, 1870 was the uh, the uh, Utah women uh, voting, right? Which uh, Gina Worthen preceded Wyoming. Yep, we beat Wyoming to the polls, and yeah. Utah women were first. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, and uh, Karina Brown, it's uh, the Voting Rights Act, right? Uh, yes. An anniversary. Yes. Is the other anniversary. Was that 1965, right? Yes, so. that's right. Uh, we have uh, with us uh, in studio here in Logan um, the co chair of the Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020. That's uh, Karina Brown and uh, Gina Worthen, who's involved with this committee. She's also. Uh, on the uh, county council for Cache County, vice chair of that council. Yes. And uh, in uh, KCBW Studios in Salt Lake City, we have the authors of an interesting new book, Champions of Change, featuring 25 advocates for Utah women, Naomi Watkins and Catherine Kitterman, also the illustrator, uh, Brooks uh, Smart. Um, 
So, Gina Worthen, you were mentioning uh, during break that um, for the first time ever, there are two women on the Cache County Council. That's right. We've we've had a women often on the county council over the years, but this is the first time that we have two women. So yeah. that's exciting for how, us. How many on the council? There are seven. Seven on the council, too. So two. Two of us. There have been, there's been one woman periodically, yeah, but now. it seemed pretty consistently that we've yeah. had one woman, but this time we have two, so it's exciting. And I'm the first woman from my district. Yeah. So... That's, that's Hopefully we can grow that. Cause for celebration. Yes, some progress there. Uh, let me turn to Naomi Watkins. Uh, maybe that's a nice segue to talk about uh, the fact that you, you've you included the, or Catherine Kitterman, whoever wants to answer this, um, the, the Kanab uh, uh, City Council. Yeah, the Kanab Town Council is a great story. Um, they were one of the first all-woman town councils in the United States. And the interesting part of the story is that they were put on the ballot as a joke. So really? um, men wrote their names in and then they actually were elected. And this was in 1911. So women were actually voting in Utah. Right. Um, but they were elected. They accepted their election and they served the term. So they had an, a woman mayor and an all woman town council. And as they led, they did normal things like trying to clean up stray livestock, um, laying out the town cemetery, regulating Sabbath breaking, you know, the things you do in 1911 Mm. or 1912 in Utah. Um, But one of the interesting parts of the story is that um, they went through about seven town marshals because no man wanted to be seen taking orders from women. (laughs) And so they had to keep raising the salary and they kept having men quit on them. Um, But even despite some of this opposition, they really hoped that the the town would elect other women in the future. and the interesting part of the story is that that didn't really happen right away. But these women paved the way for women to hold office across the country. And we also have done research in Utah history, and we found that about 140 women were elected to county government in across Utah in almost every single county by 1920. So women in Utah really paved the way, gaining experience both in voting and in holding office well before women in many of the re- parts of the rest of the country were able to go to the polls. Oh, interesting. So the, the, they were put on the ballot as a joke, but they served ably. Do you, do you think that had an effect in changing perceptions? It's a good question. We know that um, they faced some opposition within their own households as well. Um, and I think they had a, they had 36 children total among the women. Three of these children were born while they were serving in office. And I think that anytime we see women doing anything, it's helpful for other people to see them as role models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. That important words are at role model, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to maybe we start with this with uh, with Brooke Smart. What, who's who's your favorite person in the book? <laughs> that's always a tough question. Um, it seemed like every time I made a new illustration and I was reading through the research that Catherine and the rest of the team had put together, and then I did my own research, I would fall in love with that new woman that I was working on. Um, but one of my favorites in this book would have to be um, Helen Papa Nicholas. She was really inspiring because she she was a very motivated woman. She grew up in a Greek community. She was Greek, um, and she was planning on becoming a physician. But she started writing about her own community, her Greek community, her. Um, her neighbors, her family, and she started being recognized more for her writing and figured out that that was really her strength. And she started to write more about the different people in Utah and edited a book called The Peoples of Utah, where each chapter talks about a different 
cultural group in Utah. And she was very distinct at the time, her writing style, because she was focusing more on the everyday people, not so much about famous people, uh, politicians. Um, She focused on the day-to-day lives of normal people. And so she was telling more realistic, uh, using realistic journalism to tell those stories. So I really admired her. Yeah, she's a, yeah, a great lady. Uh, let me, I'm going to ask everybody. So uh, Naomi Watkins, who, who's your favorite figure in the book? Oh, like Brooke, that's hard. But I am, I really admire the silent sentinels, uh, Laverne Robertson and Minnie Quay, who were two Utahns that were a part of the uh, public protests in front of the White House for two and a half years. And um, and this was in the, in the late 19, um, 19-teens. And these were the very first protests outside of the White House ever, which, you know, now seems so commonplace. Um, but it, this was, you know, radical for especially women to be publicly protesting outside of the White House. They did this, like I said, for two and a half years, six days a week, um, regardless of the weather, and stood with these very large banners um, silently, which is why they were then called the Silent Sentinels. And when I learned about, I mean, I had seen these very um, vivid photographs of the, these public protests, and I wondered, as we were working on this, um, these illustrations, like, were there was there a Utah woman who was a part of these protests, and that led led to this rabbit hole and discovering Laverne and Minnie. And I think um, it's really important for kids in Utah to know that women in Utah were a part of these national events. They weren't just you know doing things in Utah, but they were pa- part of national movements. Um, and these women were um, arrested for um, quote obstructing traffic. Um, thrown in jail, and they were there in prison during what has now become known as the Night of Terror, meaning that the prison guards uh, beat the women and denied them medical treatment. Um, and this this horrible act ended up changing the tide and the sentiment towards women's suffrage because the public was so like, aghast that women would be beaten for wanting to wanting the vote. Yeah, amazing. And so I just find yeah. that so admirable. Yeah, uh, Catherine Kidman, what about you? Your favorite figure in the book? Again, it's hard to pick, but um, one of my favorites in this book is Alice Kasai. She was a Japanese-American leader and activist. Um, so when her husband was interned during World War II, like many Japanese-Americans, um, Alice led the Japanese-American Citizens League in Salt Lake City. She worked with that group to provide aid and help for people who were in internment camps in Utah, down in Delta especially. And then after the war, she and her husband worked together to build bridges of friendship between different cultures. So she was instrumental in starting the Japanese section of the International Peace Gardens. She started sister city programs, student exchange programs. Um, She fought against the interracial marriage ban in Utah. And um, she was one of the people who worked towards laws that would allow Asian immigrants to apply for citizenship. For example, Alice was born in the United States, but her husband had been born in Japan. And he wasn't able to vote until after a law passed in 1952. So I think you see with Alice and with so many other people in this book as well that um, the work for equal suffrage continued past 1920 for many groups of women. And it was people like Alice who brought about changes that allowed more people to participate in our democracy. Yeah, it, it, it illustrates this. It's not just Susan B. Anthony, right? Although it's, you know, right. it's good to get her name out there as well. Uh, Karina Brown, do you have a, a favorite either in the book or the exhibit? I actually, one of my favorites is May Tim Bimbu Perry. 
She was the tribal historian of the Northwestern Band of the Shoshone Nation. And through her courage and storytelling and writing down stories that she remembered from her elders, she was able to pass on the understanding of the event, um, the Battle of Bear River used to be called. Um, but she um, rephrased it and renamed it to the Bear River Massacre. And um, a new interpretive center will actually be is in the planning stages right now to be built in Preston, Idaho, just helping to um, correctly um, transmit that history and have an, a center where people can go and learn more about it. And actually in Utah, Native Americans didn't gain voting rights until 1957, which was 87 years after the first woman voted in Utah. And so I think through her courage, her storytelling, um, through her commitment to to history and sharing their history, that she was able to, to make changes to, mm. to help other people. So 1957. Right. I wasn't aware of that. That's, that's mm-hmm. quite late, of course. All of this is quite late if you look at it, you know, relatively speaking. Right. Uh, so, Gina Worthen, do you have a favorite figure in the exhibit or the or the book? That's like they've all said that's hard. And I haven't read the book yet, but I'm excited to, to get a hold of that and, and meet them. And I've really loved researching and finding stories of men and women who were proactive in the suffrage movement. And I think my favorite is probably a little-known woman, uh, Louisa Lula Green Richards from Smithfield. She was actually the founding editor and first editor of the Women's Exponent. We all know Emmeline Wells, who did a fantastic job, but it was actually started by Louisa, and she was only 23 years old. She was a very talented writer. She was asked by the editor of the Salt Lake Herald to start this newspaper, and she established it as a voice for women and a voice for women's suffrage and remained at the helm. Till 18 from 1872 when it was founded to 1877 and then continued on as a contributor after that and she was the first woman editor in Utah and the first woman journalist basically and the exponent was the first women's consistently published women's magazine west of the Mississippi so there's a rich history there for Utah and Cache Valley as well yeah so it would have been read by women I guess read by women men, men as well maybe but uh... women supported it women were the subscribers but even if they weren't sometimes um, it would be uh, talked about in LDS Relief Society it was very influential uh, whether everybody subscribed to it or not it was a very influential uh, publication Hmm. I noticed uh, I'll turn to Na- Naomi Watkins for this. Uh, I noticed the, the end of the book you have uh, a couple of um, people that uh, we would be familiar with, Olene Walker and Becky Lockhart. Yeah, so in the illustrations, our one rule was that the women had to be deceased. That was to bind the project because one of the good problems to have was that we had more than 50 or 25 women that we could have included. So it was really hard to choose. Um, and Oline Walker happens to be, if, as people may know, um, the only female um, lieutenant governor and governor in the state. Um, and Becky Lockhart was a recent legislator who unfortunately died um, at an early age. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, I mean, it's sad in some respects that she's included in the book because she did, uh, uh, she did die young, uh, but, but right. was very influential, uh, Speaker of the House, right? Yes, the first um, female speaker of the House in Utah. Yeah. And I believe that building on the Capitol is named after her. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, there's uh, the, you know, a lot of symbolism in the, in the uh, U.S. Capitol, the Statuary Hall. Every state gets two s- statues, right? 
And uh, I think we're Utah's in the process of removing Philo T. Farnsworth and uh, putting in Martha Hughes Cannon. Yep. Um, I'll jump in. This is Catherine. Okay. So okay. Uh, every state gets two statues in Statuary Hall, and you're allowed to switch them out every so often. And two years ago, the legislature voted um, in Utah to pass a bill that would send a statue of Dr. Martha Hughes Cannon. Um, she's going to be inducted in in August of this year um, to commemorate the centennial of the 19th Amendment. And there are lots of things that are interesting about her, but Martha was the first woman to be elected as a state senator anywhere in the United States. And that happened in 1896, Utah's statehood year. That was the first year that women could run for office here in Utah. And um, on the slate of opposing candidates um, was her husband. So that's always an interesting story people <laughs> like to talk about. Her husband was opposing her. Okay. Uh, by the way, a side note, uh, there there's a... Uh, there's an effort underway to find a home for Philo Farnsworth, the the, the statue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And (laughs) it just seems to me there's kind of some symbolism there, and I don't know whether whether even today there's there's some, some pushback. I don't know what the I don't know what the debate was at the with the legislature <laughs> with replacing Philo Farnsworth with Martha Hughes Cannon. Definitely some pushback. I think there's always a question um, when we publicly represent um, our history in art or in statues or street namings, anything like that. Um, it's a reflection of our values, and it's important to me that we represent all of the people who have contributed to our state in our public iconography in the things that we say we're going to honor as a state here, right? But there were still some arguments about whether or not we should send her just because she's a woman. There were arguments about whether or not we should send Martha because she was a polygamous wife. Um, of course, Brigham Young is there as the other Utah statue. Um, so it's interesting to see these debates, but I think it's really important opportunity for Utah to show not only here locally, but also to show to the rest of the country Um as everybody's paying attention to the 19th Amendment centennial this year, it will be a good opportunity to show that Utah led the way, that women here paved the ground for voting rights to spread to the rest of the United States. Um, I, I don't want to pick fights or you know cause controversy, but, but <laughs> um, would you have rather a, a different woman be sent to, to, to be uh, represented by a statue, or do you think uh, Dr. Martha Hughes Cannon is a good, is a good one? Oh, gosh. I mean, there are thousands of women who have done important things in the state. But I think Martha represents a really a really good moment in Utah's history. She was educated both here in Utah and back east. She earned four degrees in uh, medicine, in pharmacology, in public speaking. She had a plan to revolutionize public health. And when she came back to Utah, she, she practiced as a physician at the Deseret Hospital, which was run by women. And then when she ran for office and was elected as a state senator, she founded Utah's State Board of Health and other things that really impacted the way that we live today. So I think she's an excellent choice to represent the women's suffrage movement in Utah. Mm. And the uh, the exhibit uh, produced by the Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020, that's touring schools, right? Yes. Uh, at least in the, in the Cash, Cash School District? Cash, Logan, and Box Elder. And Box Elder. Okay, great. I want to put in a plug for Utah Public Radio. We've, we've got uh, an audio introduction there that we worked on. Right. right. It's a 25-minute audio with poetry, really fun music on it, and just different historical stories. And so it adds a, a another great dimension to the exhibit. Yeah. And when I say we, I'm grandly including myself. I really had nothing to do with it. It's Carrie Bringhurst and uh, a friend, our engineer friend Weller, helped with that as well. Uh, so let's uh, let's take another break. We'll come back with more uh, talk about more champions of change and uh, more people involved in this exhibit after this. 
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Idaho National Laboratory. INL will be assembling and testing the power source for a new NASA spacecraft named Dragonfly, which will explore the surface of Saturn's largest moon, Titan. More information available at INL.gov. This is M. Capito, an integrative psychotherapist with ideas for becoming more resilient. Despite the known potential for mindfulness to dramatically improve our lives, this powerful practice is often perpetually postponed. Specific to building resilience, mindfulness plays two critical roles. First, resilience is the space between what's happening to us and how we respond. Mindfulness is the tool that chisels out that space, such that we recognize all of the possibilities in the moment and have the freedom to choose our response. Second, mindfulness creates the opposite physiological state to stress, reducing our exposure to chronic fight or flight hormones that erode our resilience, health, and quality of life. Mindfulness is simply about being fully present in the moment. A great place to start is through short guided meditations on an app that tracks and therefore reinforces your new habit. Over time, you'll train your brain to let go of all that chaos in your mind and tune in to your loved ones, your work, and the beauty and awe that exists all around us each day. This tip is brought to you by UPR's Project Resilience. To learn more about the project and explore more resiliency tips, visit upr.org. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in January. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We've reached our last segment uh, with our guest today. We're talking about uh, some important anniversaries. Uh, the first of those is the 100th anniversary of uh, women's suffrage, uh, the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote in the United States. 1870 was when uh, Utah women uh, voted. They were first in the, in, the, in the West. First in the nation. First in the nation. That's right. And uh, then the uh, anniversary of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. I should uh, mention that um, we're talking with uh, two people in studio here who are involved with Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020 organization, and you can find out more about them at cash2020.org. Karina Brown is uh, co-chair of the organization, and uh, Gina Worthen is uh, vice chair of the county, uh, Cash County Council, Cash County Council and yes. treasurer of this organization uh, involved with the exhibits here. Um, and... Uh, Catherine Kitterman, Better Days is it Better Days uh, Better Days twenty twenty dot org. Um, yeah, you can find us at betterdays2020.org, but the site that we've created for educational purposes that includes all of Brooke's illustrations and other biographies, more more material that way, is utahwomenshistory.org. utahwomenshistory.org. Okay, great place to go. Uh, I also understand, uh, Brooke Smart, uh, all 50 of your, your illustrations are now being exhibited at the Hiram Museum. Yes, um, they're in a traveling show for... Uh, Utah Division of Arts and Museums. <laughs> there we go. They're in a <laughs> traveling show this year. So they're currently in Hiram, which is really great for Cache County. It comes uh, at a good time for this celebration. Uh, uh, Brooke, let me ask you uh, that question again. Do you, do you have a favorite among the, uh, you know, among the 50 that weren't included in the book? People could go see. <laughs> 
Um, let me think. <laughs> we talked uh, much about the book. Yeah, uh, maybe while you're thinking about that, Brooke, I'll uh, I'll turn to. Um, uh, I'm not sure who who wants to name me Watkins. I'll just uh, uh, throw this to you. Um, Utah has a fascinating history with this. Of course, first in the nation with women's suffrage, um, but there is a controversy over polygamy as well, and uh, and yes. and so some of some of these some of these uh, you know foundational figures in the book were also uh, polygamists, and there was skepticism in some areas of the nation that uh, you know if you give Utah women the right to vote, then they'll just be controlled by their husbands and. Can Which I is still an argument made yeah. now, right? Yeah. That women yeah. will just vote like their husbands. Um, yeah, polygamy played a really key role in the Utah suffrage history, which makes it incredibly unique. Um, it was because of polygamy that um, that Utah women got the vote because um, the anti-polygamists, who were mostly from the Republican Party at the time, um, because they believed that slavery and polygamy were essentially two sides of the same coin, um, they believed that giving women the vote would empower them to vote um, out polygamous leaders. And when that didn't happen after the 1870 women's suffrage bill and women were not voting like the anti-polygamists wanted them to, um, that's when they turned their efforts to taking the vote away as a way to get rid of polygamy. And that happened with the Edmonds-Tucker Act in 1887. So Utah has this unique play, um, spot in history that we are the one place where U.S. Congress stripped away voting rights, um, and that, and a lot of other rights too, um, besides voting, um, taking property from the LDS Church, and um, money, and all of those things, and um, pulling apart families because polygamy was then illegal. Um, and that then, of course, changes in 1890 with the manifesto that the LDS Church publishes to publicly stop practicing polygamy, which then allows women. And the st women to get the vote back with uh, statehood, and for Utah to apply for statehood in 1895. So mm. it's it's a very, I think, fascinating story. Um, one that's complicated. It's uh, a lot of nuance to it. Um, so when I do teach teachers about this history, we talk about a lot of those nuances. That these were real people who um, sometimes didn't always act in their best self-interest, but sometimes, um, you know, really did and that these weren't simple uh, simple answers to really tough questions. Yeah, that is an interesting history. Gina Worthen, you had wanted to jump in here. Yeah, um, kind of what uh, she just said, but it, it is really interesting that it was polygamy that started this women's suffrage in, in Utah. It's, it sounds kind of crazy, but they really did believe that women would vote themselves out of polygamy, which, of course, she said didn't happen. But one of the neat things that did happen was with anti-polygamy bills in Congress, uh, women began to organize and for instance, Marianne Mon here in Cache Valley was one of the first women to start going throughout the county organizing women's groups to speak out and to have a voice. And so it had a very positive effect in that way in, in growing women leadership. Uh, much of it was tied to the LDS Church and uh, Relief Society presidents and such uh, as they went through that organization. As Of course, Utah was predominantly LDS at the time. But it actually started this grassroots effort and given women more um, more of a voice and working together. And so it was positive that way. And it is interesting that people back then did see polygamy as the twin sin of slavery. If you look through some of the old political cartoons, you'll see that. 
Um, and I think that's probably what, when we got to that point, a lot of women uh, didn't want to be Republicans. They wanted to be Democrats because of that history of the Republican Party. So it is very fascinating, uh, the issues of those times. Mm. Uh, Brooke Smart, have you uh, given you a little time to think of your favorite of, of the 25 not included in the book? Um, thank you. Yeah. So one of the women that I really loved learning about and painting um, that's part of the exhibit but not in the book is uh, Maud May Babcock. And you may recognize the Babcock name from Babcock Theater at the University of Utah. So uh, Maud was educated in the East, um, but at a course that she did, a summer course where she was teaching at Harvard University, um, she met Sousa... Um, Susie Young Gates and Susa was so um, excited about Maud and just loved um, what she was learning she invited her to come to Utah back with, back with her and so um, Maud ended up coming to Utah and she ended up being the first female chair of a department at the University of Utah. She opened two different departments the Department of Speech and the Department of Physical Education and she put on numerous productions, plays, um, but also in physical health, she was really, um, she made a splash in Utah because she um, didn't really believe in corsets. She liked um, to have movability and breathability for the women that she taught. And she introduced something called the bloomer suit, which is what I painted her in. And it's, um, if you see the illustration, it's a very... Um, covers your whole body the bloomer suit does end at the knees but then there are stockings that you wear um, but the a lot of the mothers of the students were just um, appalled by the fact that knees and ankles were shown even though they were covered by stockings um, but she she brought the sport of basketball to the University of Utah and they created the first basketball team at the University of Utah um, but she was very inspiring, just um, very forward thinking. She uh, really appreciated exercise. She would take her students on hikes. Um, she was just a very warm and um, motivated person. And I, I really admired kind of the uh, differences she made at the university and in Utah. Yeah, it sounds like a fascinating, fascinating figure. We just have a couple of minutes left. Um, uh, allow anybody to jump in here if you've just been itching to say something and haven't been able to say it uh, before we close. Uh, Gina Worthen. I just want to point out um, <clears throat> we're doing this because we really want to educate people on, on Utah's rich suffrage history. And something else that's unique to Utah is women had to get the right to vote twice. We got it in 1870, as we talked about, when Utah was a territory. But then as it was taken away with the Edmunds-Tucker Act of 1887, women had to work to get it back and worked really hard to get it put into Utah's constitution. Uh, and we did, and we got that approved. Um, and it was, uh, Utah was the third state then, because we were a state to have women's voting rights, and the right to run for office in our Constitution. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, Colonel Brown. <clears throat> I think um, one of the important things to take away from all of this is learning from history is to help inspire us to act now as citizens of, you know, of this wonderful country. And there's an organization called Voterize that's working to help um, get more people registered to vote. But specifically, they did a study that found that 
There were 300,000 women in the state of Utah that were residents of the state but weren't registered to vote. So there's a push to help register more people to vote. They have a program where you can text to register to vote, and they follow up with, with registered voters. And so I think it's important for us as citizens that have this privilege, we can learn about the past and how much people have done to to create this opportunity for us, the creation of our, our democracy and people who continue to work today, that we we work as citizens and, and study the issues and, and vote. Mm. Uh, Naomi Watkins, okay, if I give you the last word, 30 seconds. Yes, I just want to point out that there is one man in our book um, to illustrate that men can and should be advocates of women and that women's history is not just a special interest story for women and girls, that this is a history that affects everybody and should be of interest to everybody. Uh, Very good. Um, Our thanks to our guests. We've been talking uh, with the authors of this new book, Champions of Change, uh, Naomi Watkins and Catherine Kitterman. The illustrator is Brooke Smart. Uh, With us in studio have been uh, Gina Worthen, who's uh, with Cash Celebration of Women's Suffrage 2020, also on the uh, uh, Cash uh, County Council, and uh, Karina Brown, who's co-chair of the Cash Celebration of Women's uh, Suffrage 2020. Uh, So uh, everyone, uh, thanks, and uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU's College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences, offering a Master of Public Health degree with an emphasis in nutrition-related sciences that may be explored on campus or completed 100% online. Information at mph.usu.edu. This is Debbie Andrew. As a service to you, Utah Public Radio is providing on-air and online resources for ways you can take advantage of social distance recreating in your hometown. Representatives from Davis, Garfield, Cache, and other tourism areas are sharing ideas about unique hiking trails, scenic drives, and places to grab an on-the-go bite to eat. If you missed the message here, you can always get more information on our Project Resilience webpage. Find the link online at upr.org. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR, Logan. KUSK, Vernal. KUSL, Richfield. KUST, Moab. KCEU, Price. KUSU, FM, Logan. Also heard at upr.org.